Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob Lamorgis. Who is currently getting a naked massage. I'm uh, in the spirit of this movie. Is the masseuse blind? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, the, it's, it's good. There you Just, go. You know, watch yeah. out. You know. Yeah, it's good for the masseuse, let me tell you. <laughs> they don't have to see me. Oh, this is this is the third episode in our Get Me Another Bird with the Crystal Plumage series, and the trend of animal-themed giallo films is in full swing with two films from 1971. We begin today with The Black Belly of the Tarantula. Night. A time for quiet. A time for evil. Behind the door, through the window, a time for terror. A terror that leaves a tiny clue, a pattern of blood. Repeated again and again and again. How do you forget? How do you hide from a horror that pierces your most secret moments? How do you escape a death that comes in the night like some monstrous ancient ritual? MGM presents The Black Belly of the Tarantula, a gothic tale of terror and death. The film stars legendary Italian actor Giancarlo Giannini, as well as Claudine Auger, Barbara Bruchet, Silviano Tranquilli, Stefania Sandarelli, and Barbara Bach. Now, Rob, I have to point out this film's significant number of James Bond connections. <laughs> Claudine Auger starred as Domino in the classic Sean Connery Bond film Thunderball. Barbara Boucher played Miss Moneypenny in the 1967 spoof version of Casino Royale. Barbara Bach would later go on to star opposite Roger Moore in The Spy Who Loved Me, and Giancarlo Giannini played Mathis in the 2006 version of Casino Royale, as well as its underappreciated follow-up, Quantum of Solace, both featuring Daniel Craig. Wow, this is a whole lot of James Bond action going on here. It absolutely is. Absolutely. One could say it's a spider web of connections, Chris. We open in this, we opened it the black belly of the tarantula, which I kept getting the name. I kept calling it the belly of the black tarantula. And I realized that that was wrong. And I had to go back and redo my notes because I actually had written it wrong in my notes. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> At the top of my notes is belly of the black tarantula. I, uh, I did it too. I'm glad. I, you know what? Honestly, I feel better. I feel better. We open at a health clinic where Barbara Boucher, as Maria, is being massaged by a blind masseuse, which is admittedly good work if you can get it. Uh, she receives an angry phone call from uh, what turns out to be her husband, Paolo. Now, apparently, Paolo has received a photo of her with another man, and she he is not too happy about it, and he claims she's a nymphomaniac. And uh, she comes home, and they argue, and frankly, he goes so far as to hit her. 
uh, which, uh, again, we do not approve of here. Get me another. And right off the bat, the juxtaposition of sensuality and violence right from the get-go. This has 42nd Street written all over it. Yes, it did indeed. Balo leaves, you know, after after the confrontation. And that night, an intruder enters and murders Maria. Now, the killer here clearly shops at the same store as the killers from Blood and Black Lace and Bird with the Crystal Plumage, except instead of going for the black glove option, he wears these rubber surgical gloves, which, honest to goodness... I think is even creepier than the black gloves. They make the killer's hands look like super smooth and artificial, like a mannequin. It is it is very unsettling. Yeah, one of those rare things. Uh, they're tweaking the formula a, but b, it 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 really is truly more disturbing. Uh, yeah, and it does kind of go there. It fits the killer and what what the mo is uh, as we go down the line. So it's not just. A style choice that actually fits the character. The killer uses this needle, like a like, a, like a, uh, an acupuncture needle that that injects a toxin into the victim, which paralyzes so and keeps them totally conscious as the killer proceeds to murder them. Now, this is a fantastic horror concept. Oh my goodness, it is truly terrifying. And I'll just tell you right out. Unfortunately, this movie does nothing with it. And it really bothers me. Like, we never get, like, anything from the victim's point of view. We don't really get the sense of powerlessness that one would feel. Like, you could do some really interesting stuff with this concept, and they kind of don't. Like, he stabs the victim in the neck and then a couple times with a knife, and that's that. You know, it's like, there's stuff you could really do that's really unsettling, and they kind of don't. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say that I was kind of glad they didn't. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I like that remove because in especially in the modern era, I know exactly how someone would start to go with that, and it would not be something I would enjoy. Um, not that I am against all torture porn as the sub sub genre, but um, I don't know that I would want to see this uh, if it was if it was done in the modern angle. I, I know what you're saying about you, they're not really taking advantage of the conceit. Yeah, uh, and I and I see that point, but I'm glad they aren't. I think you could do it in a way that doesn't necessarily spill into torture porn where it's more, uh, who knows? I mean, I'm not a torture porn person anyway. To me, the, 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 the pursuit is more of the suspense rather than just watching someone get kind of chopped up. But I just feel like, oh, this is something unique and they kind of don't, don't do anything with it that, that is that unique. Uh, by the way, the title of the film comes from the idea that the killer is using this toxin similar to one that a particular species of wasp uses to kill a tarantula. And that gets explained in a scene later in the film, which, for those who are spider-phobic, uh, is the only scene with actual spiders in it. it. And it's one scene, it's kind of in the middle of the movie, and it's confined to that. You don't have like spiders popping up in other places. Yeah, it is also a very, very odd scene that doesn't fit. Um, oh yeah, no, it's with weird. The film, it it is. It, it just feels very shoehorned in. Um, but at the same time, you're kind of in the uh, the police world at that time, and everything looks so cool that I really didn't care. Because um, th- this is a movie, as many of these giallos, um, uh, and and frankly, uh, if you look at some of the uh, you know gumshoe movies in Hollywood in the '40s, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and books, you know, even further the Pulp Fiction, like the Maltese Falcon, and um, you know, especially in the Big Sleep, they are not about mm-hmm. how comprehensible the plot is, no. and how you can follow the clues. That is no. not it. 
I cannot follow the big sleep at all. I have tried. And I could not really follow this movie for chunks and certainly not the next one. <laughs> um, but that is, the, but I want to say that to say it is besides the point. That is right. not the point. This is not an Agatha Christie thing style mystery like Blood and Black Lace kind of was actually. Where that one you were expected to follow along. By the time you get to uh, Argenta with Bird they're kind of leaving that behind. And now as you're entering a little further on, they really, it's gone. And and they start to get to a point where they don't even care if they have a main character. That is absolutely true for the second film uh, this week, for sure. But at least for the first film, we have Inspector Tallini, played by Giancarlo Giannini. And and Rob, I I think I actually was so, I thought it was so remarkable. I called my wife downstairs to take a look. I was like, this is the youngest I've ever seen double G in a movie <laughs> and oh my goodness, he has got a mustache in this film that he pulls off amazingly. He's like an Italian Thomas Magnum. Yeah, and the haircut, I mean, it's I don't know if it's quite a Caesar, but it is um like very stylish, you know. If if you had to be an inspector in early 70s Italy, I think you would want to be him. There's no question. I kind of want him to be him now. Like it just it, you know, like that's fine. It's uh, he's great. And I, and he's a great, like, I really liked his detective character. And I'm just like, I would watch a whole series of movies with him sort of solving crimes and talking about redecorating his apartment with his wife. Totally. And, and I, you, you bring that up, uh, which, you know, it's fun, but he actually has a lot of range in this. Um, he gets to play a lot of different things, which is not necessarily what you see for almost any other inspector in a Giallo movie. But he gets to be embarrassed. He gets to be loving. He gets to be angry. Uh, he's tracking down. He gets to be professional. He actually he gets to play a lot and and does it very well. Oh yeah, and I mean this is this is one interesting one interesting aspect of this movie that that touches on that is it's the first movie that we've watched in the series where we get to really see like the the detective's home life. Like him and his wife are together. His wife is great. Um, you know, uh, she's apparently sold all it, all the furniture because they were tired of it and wanted to buy some new stuff. And it's really odd, like for a giallo to have that kind of like, oh, we're also going to spend time with the detective's home life. And as you said, I think Giannini's great. He does troubled, but not trying to let on really well. Like he does that really well. He is a guy who's hiding it because yeah. that's what you would do. Uh, in that situation. And and yeah, the home life stuff, it's weird. Um, and again, on paper, you might say, oh, it's, you know, you're you're going away from the A story, although it does come back to the A story. Yes. Uh, but there are times in the early on where you're going, why am I watching an Italian Cassavetes movie about this married couple? Uh, and, but it's it's wonderful. I'm here and for I, it. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, and he's, he's such a, I mean, honestly, they're, they're a genuinely good couple. Uh, I mean, he, I would not be as, as, as understanding if I came home and my wife sold all our furniture. I'd be like, wait, what, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> and, and, you know, there's other stuff that happens where she is uh, amazing and we'll go get to that as well. Um, meanwhile, the husband, Paulo, he, he hires what appears to be a very, very sketchy PI in order to find the man 
from the photo because there's there's this photo that that she had gotten. Uh, he tore it in half, and the police have the half with with his, with the wife, but he has the half with the guy, and he's trying to track down the guy because he thinks the guy, whoever is the guy in the photo, must have killed uh, must have killed his wife. That is what he believes. So, Chris, Chris, I've got to stop you right now. You are doing all of our listeners a disservice by calling this guy. Uh, a shady private eye or something like that. He has a name, the catapult. Is it not? (laughs) Is it not the catapult? Is that not the nickname he gives himself? I think it is. Yes, you're right. You're right. This is a detail people must know. Uh, Also because he is one of my favorite characters in this movie. He's great. He's this like grumpy old guy who, but who's always selling himself as kind of this tough guy. And referring to himself in the third person by the nickname that clearly he gave himself. <laughs> I am the catapult, and the catapult will solve this crime. Uh, okay, you're right. You're right. And and you know what? I was, I mean, you know, the guy doesn't have a working phone. He's like, oh, just call the bar downstairs. They'll get me. And I was very suspect of him, but he actually. You know, he 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 he's he's apparently worth the money that uh, that that Paolo paid. And, and and when they introduce him and get him in, he does a great job. That actor of not actually overdoing the kooky character, and then and then uh, the straight man never breaks. So it keeps <laughs> it at that level where it's goofy and enjoyable, but it actually doesn't break the tone of the film. Uh, even though it is, you know, relieving some tension. Uh, well, yes, that is all of that is absolutely true. And and while that's happening, a second murder occurs. This one in a clothing shop of some kind. There's mannequins everywhere, which is very unsettling. Uh, honestly, there's a lot of great mannequin work in this scene. And um, the the victim is a woman who works in the shop, and the killer is pursuing her like a- around the sh- shop, and the mannequins are surrounding her like it's like skeletons in the well of souls, and she's Marion Ravenwood. At one point, she grabs the killer's knife with her hand, so blood begins to smear on the mannequins, and it's just really, really good. Uh, and and I'll point this out now. I I don't know, Rob. I. I I hope this is not just me because if it's just me, it says something not great. But when, when, so the killer injects the toxin into her and then, you know, and then kills her. And the body is left in a position that I read as from a certain angle, it looked like she was performing oral sex on one of the female mannequins. God, I hope you also thought that too, or else I'm a real dirty birdie. No comment. (sighs) Darn it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I thought. It just I said, "Oh, that's a, that can't be un, that can't be in, unintentional." You know, that's uh, it's got to be. It's a it's a giallo movie. It's it's as you say, it's a little it's a little sleazy. But I, I do have notes about it's that bright red fake blood and with the flash cuts and things that reminded me of like an upscale Italian Herschel Gordon Lewis movie in the in <laughs> some of those kill scenes. And I say it's for me that is a big compliment. Um, no, it was. I, I thought this movie is has was a little bit more on the graphic side than some of the ones we've watched heretofore. Like it, like the blood had a kind of the, the redness of the blood, the amount of it you saw. I mean, it's, it's not like you're not talking about, you know, uh, the terrifier or, or something like that. Uh, I haven't seen that movie. I've, I've heard people talking about it, but um, you know, it's not like that. It's, it's, but it's more than you even see in like bird with the crystal plumage or things like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and this has some other stylistic differences. Uh, 
you know, at one time there's a super wide angle lens uh, that's in use uh, in, in ways that you don't get in some of the earlier, you know, uh, Jalas. And that, you know, and, and I really like a lot of the direction in this in the visuals, but uh, there are occasional issues where uh, one of them, and I don't know if it was money or time or whatever, but that do you remember the the three detectives doing the fingerprint scene? Yes. And you're essentially uh, they're in whatever lab, and you have like the cool machinery behind them, and you have a blown up fingerprint on a machine that's lit up, and you have the three detectives or inspectors and and you know fingerprint guy talking about it but the whole thing is played in a single shot and the you're angling down in order to see the fingerprint the best yeah but it's a real odd angle for them talking for like the the beginning of that shot and they never cut and it's i mean look that's a really slight technical nitpick it's a cool looking otherwise but it's not the best for the dialogue but that's the kind of like slight technical nitpick that you don't get with Bava, you don't get with Argento, or at least I just don't. Maybe others do, but no, I agree. I think that, and I think the, the other the other issue I had with this movie that I think in the middle it becomes a little unfocused. There's a period in the middle of this movie in Act Two where it's a little fuzzy. You know, there's they they go down. Uh, there's a there's a stakeout at this seaside house where Paolo has been seen, uh, but he's nowhere to be found. The house is owned by a doctor who apparently is never there. Uh, Tallini then goes to see the doctor who practices acupuncture using needles very similar to the one the killer uses. And I realized that all of these events are occurring in an area of Rome known as the Red Herring District. Yes, yes. Uh, and also, I forgot to mention before, uh, those of you who have had acupuncture um, in this century, uh, <laughs> I want to assure you that the acupuncture needle in this film is nothing like an actual acupuncture needle, which is super tiny and thin. And, you know, uh, no, this is more like uh, a giant pick that you would use to carve <laughs> yeah. an ice sculpture. Yeah, Maybe no, there it's... was some version of acupuncture at some point in 70s Italy that utilized these things. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, my traditional Chinese medicine doctor d- would not touch this thing. <laughs> No, it looks like it should be under Sharon Stone's bed at the end of Basic yes. Instinct. Like it's, yes, I mean, yes. you know, it's, um, but you know, it's just, it's in the meantime, also you have Claudine Auger who seems to be watching all these events. Like she, she's at the crime scene kind of watching along with the crowd. And I have no idea who she is in the, at this point. Nope. Like I have no idea who that character, I only know her cause I've seen Thunderball a million times and I'm like, Oh, that's Claudine Auger. But like I have no idea why she's there or what she's watching. Um, there's just there's nothing given for a while. And uh, Paolo pops up again. Uh, this time, literally in the back of Tallini's car with a pistol in his hand. And uh, safety tip: uh, don't surprise cops in the back of their car with a gun. Just don't do that. Yeah, that's a bad call. And even and Tallini even says it's a foolish way to ask for aid. And I'm like, no shit, man. I'm surprised you didn't kill him. Yeah. And that's actually, uh, you know, this because this movie, 
it's interesting in another respect is that you do wind up with two detectives or two inspectors. Yes. You have the actual inspector and then you do have, uh, it's, I guess, maybe a Giallo the Fugitive, uh, where you have (laughs) the man who is accused trying to clear his name conducting his own investigation. It actually works. It does. No, it it actually works pretty well. Like, that's not what what gives it that muddled quality in the middle. Like, it's, there's other stuff. No, it's, it's doing nothing with either of those investigations for a while that's what well, gives it yeah. the muddled quality uh, you know you have this whole <laughs> yeah. tangent with uh like drugs are found at the second murder scene which leads to a professor who specializes in spiders and this is the, the spider scene that i alerted to before yes the tarantula is a terrible insect it has only one fatal enemy a hymenopter a so-called wasp with salmon colored wings the wasp is always the first to attack once the wasp is attacked, it becomes a battle to the end. The wasp is always the winner, you see. The tarantula has no escape. To finish the battle, finally, she'll sting the tarantula. The tarantula is stung and paralyzed by the wasp, who will then disembowel it in order to put her larvae there. You understand? The tarantula remains alive while the larvae is nourished with its flesh. Thus, the victim can do nothing to defend itself, though aware of being disemboweled and eaten alive. I understand. I wanted you to see this because of its analogy to the method used in the two murders. It's been interesting, Professor. Thank you. It goes on this prolonged lecture about how a particular wasp can kill a tarantula with a toxin, just like the one the killer is using. And this this professor is 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 he connected to the murder? No, 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 he's not. It's just this is how things go down in the red herring district, Rob. Oh, and the professor, by the way, is smuggling cocaine in with tarantulas he's bringing in from the Far East. And Tallini has him busted for that. But that's the last we see of him. Yeah. um, And when he's giving that example, he even says, I brought in the spider to show you just so you have a visual for the metaphor I'm going to tell you. (laughs) That's an analogy to what the killer might might be doing. Might be doing. Uh, might be doing. Um, it is uh, as you. How do you say crazy in Italian? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, good. oh goodness, it's been a while. I, I haven't taken Italian since high school, and we get more of Tallini and his wife at home, which I really enjoyed. Um, but as 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 Mister and Missus Tallini are getting intimate, uh, they are unaware that they're being filmed. Uh, which is, again, something straight out of a James Bond film. Also, when she got rid of the furniture, I guess she got rid of the privacy curtains. I guess it was 70s Italy. They didn't care. They were just no, showing it. They're, they're a young couple. You know, it's all right. This will come back in again. Um, yes. It's actually around this time leading into some of the next stuff where, uh, because their apartment here, like the shots through that kind of the, the large windows, uh, you know, for the beginning of this movie, I actually was a little disappointed in the locations compared to, you know, the, the sets for blood and black lace, but right. uh, Argento with uh, the bird with the crystal plumage, that movie has some great, great locations. Yes. But it's around this time that I get turned around on the locations for these. And especially with the one that's coming up that I'm sure, you know, that, that awesome. Location. Oh but yes. Here I am sold on this version of seventies Italy. And I, uh, it's very urban in a way that I think even, 
Uh, Crystal Plumage is not. It, it's it's real. I actually think the 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 film and where it was shot. I mean, it is it's in Rome, and it's real interesting as sort of a picture. One of the things I love about older movies is you get a picture of a place at a particular time. And for movies that are shot largely on location, you, and this is just yeah, you know, Rome in the early seventies. It feels like there's a lot of construction. Like a lot of a lot of things are being built at this time. You know, the war is now well in the rear view, and that's World War Two for for you know the the kids out there. Second World War, uh, which Italy was involved in, and and by this point you're seeing a lot of construction, and and it's it's interesting because it's buildings that I'm sure, but now feel a little dated. You know, it's like oh, that would be the the dated apartment in 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 this, but it was it was kind of on the it was on the 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 cutting edge at the time. Yeah, and, and you see some of that in uh, coming up when we get to buildings that look, uh, you know, like they were built to be futuristic. Where it, yes, you start to get like those century city in conquest of the planet of the apes, uh, <laughs> yes, style building, and uh, it used to very great effect. Um, with with chasing around these these structures, yeah, because Apollo's shady private dick, the 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 what's it, the hammer, the, the catapult, the catapult. No, the the hammer would make sense. The hammer would make sense. I should have called him the trebuchet. That would have been even better. Like the, t- <laughs> but like he actually succeeds in finding Mario, the guy in the photos. And uh, and and is on to them, and it leads to this great rooftop chase with uh, with with Mario and and Paolo and Tellini's kind of following behind, and it's fantastic. It's I mean I got anxious watching it because I have a fear not exactly of heights but of falling, and I there are shots that may made me genuinely anxious yeah i mean and look this is this is of uh, what about a decade plus later so you know unfair comparison but one of those rare ones where this beats the rooftop chase in vertigo and granted that's all very stage bound in many ways or whatever uh but this is super exciting and just and the it, the the building they chose and the uh you know, the, the the way they have the characters moving through frame and cutting, it's uh, super dynamic. There's that great spiral staircase leading up, yeah. like this black spiral staircase leading up to the roof. And it's like, oh, it's fantastic. And it's just like, honestly, it was one of the, I, I, I don't know wh- whether it was shot entirely with good safety protocols, because there were times where I was just like, those actors are perilously close. And I'm just like, ah, uh, I'm 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 not comfortable with that. Paolo misses his footing and plunges to his death. And I actually st- stopped and said, oh shit, out loud in my house. I was just like, oh shit. Not clearing your name now. <laughs> <laughs> Mario makes him back down to the ground and Tallini's chasing him. And then Mario, a red sports car comes out of nowhere and plows over Mario. And I said, oh shit, out loud for the second time in five minutes watching this movie. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, these were genuinely, uh, genuinely surprising moments um, and, and like a great capper on that whole chase sequence. Yeah, no, it's the cops, they go and search, uh, they search Mario's apartment. They they find pictures and film, um, which Tallini orders to be developed immediately, although he's going to regret that. Um, and he finds an addressed envelope which is the next blackmail that the, the, that this blackmail ring is going to do that Mario was part of. And what does he do? He mails it so he can find the person. It's really like he goes and blackmails this woman. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, uh, that's amazing. And, and uh, that said, 
all of that is is really interesting. But at this point in the movie, I actually kind of stopped and said, have we lost momentum on the murder investigation? Like, this is a murder story. Like, uh, uh, and I actually started to think, man, they need another murder. And and then just as I started to think that right on cue, the woman that Tallini blackmailed, who he goes to her and, and says, listen, I need to talk to you. I'm trying to solve this case and I need your help. And she says, she, you know, I can't think about it right now. I, I will talk to you tomorrow. She's not going to be talking to anybody tomorrow, Rob, because she is the next victim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, she is too stylish to live in a giallo. If you have incredible style, as, and you're especially an incredible style as a woman. Woman, yeah. You will you will not be surviving. Uh, yeah, it's like their version of a red shirt. Agreed. It's a Prada shirt. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, oh, Tallini, uh, the the or the film gets developed, and sure enough, it's the footage of him and his wife getting it on. And embarrassed, he decides he wants to quit the force, and um, and and but not before telling his wife who honestly takes the news that she was on film uh, that was played in like she was getting railed by her husband watched by a room full of cops she takes that news really really well listen you know i'm not one who likes to mix in now it's impossible to quit you can't do it And besides, the film means nothing. I'd say the killer must be afraid if he's made you a target. It draws you close to finding him. And he's afraid. Uh, So well that she kind of doesn't even respond to that aspect of the news. No! She just says, you must be so close to finding the killer. You have to press on. That's really what her concern is. Uh, Very supportive, perhaps dangerous advice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe... Maybe not the best advice. No, uh, but, no. but I mean, you know, she's, I, I, I love these characters. I love their relationship. He must be so close to finding the killer. As you would alluded to earlier, I think he's interviewed two people in this investigation. <laughs> but again, it's, it's only this moment that I thought of it because she talked about it. And I'm like, is he that close? And I'm like, eh, yeah, don't care. I guess so. <laughs> like, it's yeah. fine. Well, we we circle back at this point to the health spa where the massage was taking place at the beginning at long last. And we learn that Claudine Auger's character is the owner of the health spa, Laura. She owns the health spa and she is using her health spa as part of her blackmail scheme. She and Mario were doing this blackmail scheme where he would sleep with women and they would photograph and then, and, and her assistant played by future agent Triple X from The Spy Who Loved Me, Barbara Bach decides she wants no part of it anymore. No part of it at all. And that leads to a face-off between Bond girls past and present. There's a double slap from Claudine Auger to, to Barbara Bach, and it's an intense moment. I was like, oh my goodness. It's uh, it's something. I, I know, uh, but the important thing here is that I want to work out at that gym. <laughs> oh my, oh yeah! In- Early seventies Italy, and I if they could if they could have a TV with like a feed of the then current twenty five thousand dollar pyramid episodes or something going <laughs> while I work out. It's, that's the two hundred and fifty million lira pyramid, Rob. Yes, that's the local yes. version. <laughs> but yeah, no, the gym is amazing. They have this outdoor pool with the like inflatable bubble top. I'm like, oh, I wanna. 
Like I, 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 yeah, it's 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 fantastic. Again, continuing the trend of I want to live in this film, knowing I will die, <laughs> I will be murdered, but it looks so great. It really does. What a way to go, go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so needless to say, Barbara Box, she's out of there. She's like, I don't want any part of this. And what does she do? She runs right into the killer's lair. We, we haven't seen the killer yet, but the killer has a fondness for lampshades with fringy fringes on them. Like, and, you know, so we know that she's in the killer's lair and she knows him. Like, she's going there willingly because she needs a place to stay. But, uh, you know, that's not a bad decision. It's a bad decision because she ends up in a garbage bag. Yeah. And that fringy lampshade was a kind of a clue, although detectives didn't quite know it earlier or inspectors, whatever. Uh, and, and the look of that, it, it feels because we are very close to in time. Uh, did you not start to get with a lot of the aesthetic of what the killer likes? Not that we see tons of it, but uh, it was very Black Christmas. Totally. Uh, set totally. Down. Like, uh, I... I, I you know, maybe that's coincidental and adjust the seventies, but I wonder. Well, it, it, it's 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 the stuff that's in the seventies that was from an earlier era and was still hanging around. Yeah. And the killer seems to be into that aesthetic, whereas like Tallini and his wife are sort of in this modern apartment. The, the, that first victim, we get the first victim's house, and it's a very very modern. Uh, cool house in in the you know like in suburban Rome or whatever. Oh, and I did not think of this till you said this uh, right now. But it actually, when we got there, it makes sense that the killer is fixated on the past and wanting to be in the past before yes. something had happened. Yes. Yes, that's true. That is, we'll explore that on the other side of our spoiler line. But yes, indeed, that actually makes perfect sense. I hadn't even thought of it. See, this is, it's... uh, The dream team. Yeah. (laughs) Teamwork makes the dream work, Chris. (laughs) It's it's, it's true. Um, But yeah, so... The death of Barbara Bach's character brings Tallini to the health spot at long last. He's finally there. And he interviews Claudine Auger and most of the staff. You have a stereotypically gay waiter who seems like he's kind of cut from the same cloth as the uh, as the painting salesman from The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, the, the blind masseuse. He talks to the blind masseuse, asks him to take off his glasses, and he's clearly got damaged eyes. So it's like, oh, well, okay. Um, and, uh, oh, I should mention, because it, it, it's – this is the Red Herring District. The employees at the spa use the same rubber gloves as the killer. Like, they, we see one of the other, you know, this is, you know, it's how it is. So we should get to the spoiler line. So what we're, we, again, this is something we're doing for this series. If you're interested in the black belly of the tarantula from our conversation, but don't want to know the, the final reveal, skip to the next chapter, and we'll be talking about another film entirely. And, uh, you know, this is the point where we're going we're gonna to talk about the killer reveal. So Tallini gets a phone call from Laura, from Claudine Auger, telling him she knows who the killer is and to come meet him at the spa. I mean, honestly, she could have just told him on the phone, uh, uh, you know, but, but come to the spa. And he goes there, and she's dead. And there's a white contact lens next to the body. That's right, folks. The masseuse was faking his blindness. And Rob, I mean, you texted me when you start watching the movie. You said, "I this guy should is going to turn out to not be blind." And I didn't see the movie. I didn't want to say anything. And I was just 
You called it. You absolutely called it. Because he shows up, maybe not, it's not the first scene, but it's like in the first five minutes, you see this blind masseuse. It's, it really is, yeah. And they are selling the fucking shit out of how blind this guy is. <laughs> and that's what I was... And, and look, I had to ride that train for a while because he then disappears. He, you don't see him for most of this movie. So if you have not watched a lot of Italian cinema, you might think, oh, I was wrong. That character's not coming back. I had faith in Italy, my friends, that this character would come back, even though he was not in pretty much the entire film. Scooby-Doo rules. <laughs> the questions yeah. that popped into my head is like, how long has this guy been faking his blindness? How long has he been killing? Which came first? The contact or the kill. Yes, which came <laughs> There's first? There's no time for those questions because he is going after Mrs. Tallini. And after call uh, uh, Tallini calls at home, and and what I don't know what made him call in the first place, but he does, and the inspector races home, and and the killer is there, and he nearly kills the wife, except she's saved by fainting because the killer wants his victims awake, and and he I quote, "You have to regain consciousness, or I get no pleasure." And and so Anna fainting saves her life, it gives Tallini enough time to get there. Although he doesn't realize his paralyzed wife is still alive. She could be dead, um, you know, but he gets there before he can, like, you know, carve her up. Yeah, and so we've got a very different killer mode of this time, where it, while there is an inciting incident of it all, but it's not really trauma per se, this guy is sadistic. Yeah, he's he's a sadist and he he gets off on it. You know, that's, that's um, yeah. Okay, so Tallini gets home, and he's a cop, he's got a gun, and he's holding the gun on the killer. And uh, the killer, who he believes he, he may have murdered his wife, he doesn't know at this point, but certainly attacked his wife, assaulted his wife, and does he shoot him? Nope, nope. He tosses the gun away and wrestles the guy to the ground. Like, he gives this maniacal scream and charges at the dude, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, if there was ever a justifiable police shooting, it's when a serial killer breaks into your home and is attacking your wife. Like, you don't even need to be a cop to shoot the guy. What the hell, Tallini? Yeah, he wanted the big fight. Um, but what's interesting here, and you don't often see this, uh, in, in this fight and when you eventually get to essentially he is killing the killer. Right. right? Uh it's intercut with the killer's earlier kills. Some of them. Yeah. Some of that violence. It's intercut. And it's interesting because you are having this cop go rogue to kind of barehand murder the killer, right? Uh, so in one sense, by cutting uh, them together, you are somewhat justifying the rage. It's like this is all on his mind, the character's mind. Sure. But at the same time, uh, are my good old Eisenstein... Uh, Spidey sense, uh, <laughs> you by having the brutality of both things happening together, you are also comparing them. Uh, that sometimes a man can snap and uh, it, brutal violence will happen. Um, and you know, sometimes society is for that, and sometimes society is not for it. Let me say this about that if this had been an American film. Here's what didn't happen, and here's what would have happened in the American version <laughs> of the Black Belly of the Tarantula. The wife's redecorating 
would have played a role in him winning the fight. Like the killer's got the upper hand until Talini can reach a carpet knife that a workman left out and he kills him with the carpet knife. That's what would happen in the American version. I don't disagree. So that's uh, that's kind of what? Like, is that the Lethal Weapon 2 house remodel coming yep. into play or something? Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, I'm just making sure I'm not standing on plastic. <laughs> uh, so at, at the hospital, Tolini learns that his wife is going to be okay. And we get a doctor who explains what the killer's deal is. And truth be told, uh, I, I, his explanation makes everything worse. So apparently the killer was impotent and his wife mocked him for that. And that turned him into a killer. So he started killing and decided to fake his blindness. And uh, and and then at some point, I guess he stopped killing. And then he met Maria, Barbara Boucher, who was apparently a nymphomaniac who humiliated him. And that drove him to kill again. And it's an insane amount of victim blaming in the last like three minutes of the movie. It's bonkers. Yeah, it's also an insane amount of explaining. Uh, just, well, yeah, but you get that. You get that in Psycho. You get that in Bird with the Crystal Plumage. But here it's like, oh, yeah, if these women had been nicer to him, fuck that. Yeah, but again, I just feel that while, yes, it does exist in those earlier films, like, I, this to me is like those uh, the, the, the films that came after Star Wars that were going to follow in the wake and they decided they were going to copy the metal scene at the end because they had a metal <laughs> ceremony. Right. You're like, you don't have to copy everything. You really, really don't. (laughs) Better. How much better would this movie have been if they'd never explained why this guy was a sicko? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That would have that would have been first of all, it would have gotten rid of the problematic explanation that blames these women. Someone makes fun of you. You're not going to kill them. You're going to have that inside you to begin with. Come on. Like, let's get real. Uh, I like this movie largely, but that was like, oh, that's so that's so toxic and bad. And uh, but like, it's it's good. Is it terrible of me to say that this movie is so sleazy that it wasn't it, it wasn't sullied because this is a sullied <laughs> film? It's, that the whole point is for this to be kind of gross and sleazy. Well, yes, that is that is true. But I get it. You're having you're having the human reaction, and I was having the movie reaction. <laughs> Many times we're reversed. Honestly, I was gonna say that doesn't that sounds very much like the opposite of usual. Of what, so <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm like, ah, eh, who cares? <laughs> uh, we move we move from arachnids to lepidoptera. For our second film today, also from 1971, The Bloodstained Butterfly. I'm a smart killer, Inspector. A little smarter than all of you. I've already killed twice and got away with it. And I'm going to get away with it again. Do you hear, Inspector? I'm going to kill again, and soon. Your attention, please. We are showing you some scenes from the motion picture... The Bloodstained Butterfly. Oh, there's blood on your shirt. Group B and RH negative. As you recall, it's the blood type of Francoise Pigot. But for an innocent person, there always remains the hope that he won't have to reveal certain facts that will compromise him. And Alessandro Marchi is innocent. I visited my mistress. And the evidence, the evidence, all of which points directly to the accused, to Alessandro Marchi. 
The Bloodstained Butterfly was directed by Duccio Tessari and written by Tessari and Gianfranco Clarici. As a writer and director, Tessari uh, worked in a number of different popular genres of Italian cinema in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, including sword and sandal movies, spy films, and spaghetti westerns. Early promotion for The Bloodstained Butterfly credited mystery writer Edgar Wallace, who also, by the way, created King Kong, or co-created King Kong, I should mention. Um, and they, they credited Wallace as the as, for the story, and Wallace's stories were the basis for the German Krimi films, uh, which were the precursors to Giallo. And actually, the story had no connection whatsoever to Wallace's work, and that link was dropped in the in the promotional stuff before the film's release. It's a bizarre, it's a strange little. It's like it's like saying something's based on a Sherlock Holmes book when you just made it. It's like no, we just made it up, but we wanted people to think so, so we we did that. The film stars Austrian actor Helmut Berger, Giancarlo Sabraglia, Evelyn Stewart, Wendy D. Olive, Gunther Stoll, Carol Andre, who would later be featured in You're the Hunter from the Future, and Silvano. Tranquilli, who played the doomed husband Paolo in our last film, here plays Inspector Berardi. The opening credits of this movie really play up the butterfly thing, because there's like a silhouette of a butterfly that we're seeing the action happen, and, you know, we're getting the credits on the other side. Um, This is the first film of the ones that we've watched that I've watched in Italian, because it seemed to only be a subtitle version. There was no dubbed version, but uh, that's okay. Um, uh, and, And we open with a quote which I hope, I hope matters because I took the time and trouble to write it down. The quote, the past does not exist in that it has already gone. The future does not exist as it is yet to come. Therefore, only the present exists, but it can be made up of both the past and the future because it is the point where they meet. There's no no attribution to that quote I think it's just something the filmmakers made up. They thought it sounded, and I gotta be honest, I watched the whole movie and I'm like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. Hard agree. Um, <laughs> this movie has, um, there are quite a few things. Uh, this is, uh, there's a lot of head scratching involved. There's a lot of uh, head scratching. With watching this. Yeah. Um, at times, a very stylish film, not aesthetically unenjoyable at times, but uh, head scratching often. Yes. This woman comes home, there's this extreme close up of like her papers on the front stoop, and there's a music cue, a very dramatic music cue that goes along with it. And I'm like, that, like, and I know it comes back later, but like it's, it, it's, it was like, well, that's a very dramatic news cue for, for a music cue for newspapers. And, and then the, the film does this peculiar thing. This woman, this woman comes home. Okay, this woman comes home. She takes off this black curly wig. And and let me tell you, first of all, it's not the last wig we're going to see in this film. Um, and the woman takes a drink. She pours herself a drink. And let me tell you, this woman is acting hard. Like, she is really acting. And uh, the film does this peculiar thing. It puts a caption on screen identifying the character. In this case, Marta Clarici. And... Then they proceed to go through and show every major character in the film that we have not yet met and give them their name. And you'd think this would be helpful, Rob, but believe me, it's not. Because we haven't seen any of these characters yet, and I'm trying to retain these names, and it's like impossible. And I'm having anxiety about it before the film's ever gotten on fucking way. Yeah, no, I, I look, I I just accept that when I watch Giallo's, I essentially have memento brain, and I just, <laughs> I'm along for the ride. I 
if they tell me that someone's important, uh, I'll be like, okay, we, we're following them for a reason now. You have to tattoo, remember Marta Kalarici on your arm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have like a room full of Polaroids, but the uh, it, it's interesting because this is very much uh, like the opening uh, for Blood and Black Lace. That's true. But I didn't feel like I was studying for an exam there. Like, I'm going to have to remember these names. Well, and also that had a lot of style. Uh, and this is different in that um, those were kind of static characters presented in a, you know, a, what, a tableau, whatever, a little scene. But it was static, so it was set up almost like a card. This is like a little vignette of their life that is supposed to be informing their character. But for me, it did not. I, you know, I... And look, going back, could I see? But I sure, maybe, and the the booze, I guess. But it really just in the moment, the first time through, I, I it was incomprehensible. incomprehensible. And 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 here's the thing: the character, the movie will introduce its characters normally, the way movies usually do, at, at, over the course of as a story unfolds. It's not like you needed that. It's not like it's Dune, where you need like a sort of you know a, a guide of all the the great houses of the Landstrad. It's 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 so weird. Um, we see a young French woman named Francoise who's who's walking through the park on a rainy overcast day. And she seems to have a thing for butterflies because she's wearing a butterfly shaped like piece of jewelry around her neck. She's got like a butterfly book binder that she's carrying. And shortly after we see her, her body comes rolling down a hill, stabbed five times. And we get a glimpse of someone who might be the killer fleeing the scene in a raincoat and hat. Now, Rob, we've talked about the raincoat and a hat as, as a kind of standard uniform for killers and giallos. And it's usually the black raincoat. Uh, but here, no, no, it's, it is another, it is the most threatening of all the colors, Rob. It is beige. Yeah, it's uh, beige like London fog. But yeah, I think my dad had that, uh, that raincoat in yes. like the, the 80s. And <laughs> the, the, the hat that the killer is wearing, or the presumed killer. The hat that the figure is wearing, it, from the back, it resembles Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther movies, like fleeing the scene. And it's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's it's some real Church of the Subgenius uh, <laughs> looking hat there, I have to say. And we get a news report covering the crime. The, the guy is out there in the rain, and I'm just like, this is a news report that could have been done from the studio. Like, you didn't need this this poor bastard out in the rain. Trying it's to- also incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, he announces that the victim was raped. Yeah. Uh, we see this when other other of our characters are watching that. And it turns out that was untrue. They they really don't address it. It's just a mistake. Um, yeah. And I don't know why. I tr- was trying to figure out why it would have been in there, but. It's weird. It's a weird thing because it's not It's not like it's a movie about the media coverage of the case where it's like, oh, yeah, some of the facts were initially wrong. And no. It's not really about that. So why they'd have, I don't know. Uh, so watching the news, we get we get the 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 Marchi family. Um, the daughter Sarah was a close friend of the victim. Her father Alessandro is a TV sports host and minor celebrity. And here's the real issue: we're 20 minutes in, Rob, and I have no idea what we're supposed to be focusing on. The pace is glacial. Like it's it's like the pace of this movie. I swear, I'm a patient guy. I'm not like I'm not one of those kids who needs. 30-second TikToks. I don't even know what the hell that means. But holy shit, this pace, it's like its like on a geologic time scale. Were you trying to make a pun there with uh, geologic and giallo? I wasn't, Stop but that. I did. I said, you know, it's, <laughs> you that's go. serendipity right there. 
yeah, but uh, I mean, I'll agree with you. This whole movie, and, and it's going to get weirder oh, in good. not a good way. But, um, you know, it's funny because kind of it's super slow and nothing is happening. Uh, and yet, you know, you're having the, the telephoto lens and these zooms and mm-hmm. pans and it's it's all being shot like it's, uh, you know, the parallax view or something yeah, yeah. Uh, like it is some sort of 70s paranoid thriller. So, you know, you get you get a little motion that just the aesthetic is carrying you. Um, the, the direction in this is at least visually is pretty good throughout. Yeah. Um, the script is I I'm just not sure. Yeah, no, it's. Yeah, uh, we we get this sequence where the killer, the the police, excuse me, are, are rec- they're reconstructing the day that the victim had, uh, and they come to the conclusion she knew her killer. Uh, we, I was, I have to say, I was very excited to see on film a funicular, which is this kind of diagonal cable car that I'm a huge fan of, and I'm like, oh, funicular, that's very exciting. Um, and Sarah, the daughter, I, I should mention the daughter of, of, uh, you know, she, she begins dating this very intense young man named Giorgio, who's played by Helmut Berger. And he's got a kind of, he's got a kind of Adam driver intensive intensity to him. Like, it's like, Oh, if you were making this movie now, Giorgio would be played by Adam driver for sure. Yes. Especially because Italian. Adam Driver plays Italians very well. Um, and, you know, uh, Giorgio, by the way, seems to be in his own movie. Like, he occasionally intersects, but most of the time, he, he he's fair, his parents are rich. Uh, he seems fairly distant from them. But most of the time, he spends brooding. And, and coincidentally, was also near the crime scene the day of the murder. But, like, he's kind of in his own movie here. And I don't, I don't know what it is. Like it, it's, it's a lot of he's brooding on an island where, yeah, he's a brooding four, and then an insane eleven. That's yeah. really the two modes <laughs> you get. And uh, you know, uh, you know, mild spoiler alert. I really have no idea why the stuff with his family is in this thing. No, frankly, no. It really does not pay off. There's nothing um, in it that's that's particular. Yeah, that's- but what. What is interesting about it is it is the aspect of the movie that has nothing to do with anything else. But I did mark it down because when you get to A Bird with a Crystal Plumage as opposed to Blood and Black Lace, the the kind of sociopolitical climate in Italy is kind of somewhat being reflected, but right. not, not directly, right? Right. It's the idea of, you know, the kind of metaphor for things. And you're you're looking at high society as being kind of sick and corrupt and and you know the things under the surface right uh in this movie uh what giorgio the the guy's yeah giorgio character with his family his uh you know whatever rich dad who he's you know disowned the dad and doesn't want the family business and the money and he's an activist now this is actually putting uh, it's you know it's it's what uh garth merenguing uh there is it's taking the subtext and making it text right um i wish i could say that it was more interesting in execution it wasn't but um i i like the idea of of trying to do it uh anyway so he had this woman who comes we'll press on because it's oh god this movie uh the woman comes forward and she identifies Alessandro as the man running away from the crime scene. Although, you know, he, she's like, oh, I recognized him on television because I went over to my friend's house and saw the television because she pulls the I don't even own a TV set card, which immediately makes her her opinion suspect in my mind. 
They don't even own a television. Uh, that combined with the revelation that Alessandra owns a beige raincoat that he sent to the cleaners the day of the murder is enough for him to be arrested. So he calls his lawyer, as one does when one is arrested for murder. That is always a good thing to do. And his lawyer, Julio, has three noticeable scratches on his arm when he's picking up the phone. And you might think that means something, but I'm just telling you it's because this movie also takes place in the Red Herring District. Yeah, um, which is fine. What is less fine is if your movie is so boring that I miss the scratch marks. (laughs) And I don't even get a red herring out of it. Uh, up to this point in this movie, if, you know, if the last one uh, was very sordid and sleazy and gave me some of that 42nd Street uh, thrill, uh, this movie, literally the most horrifying thing to happen to this point was the removal of the toupee, uh, Alessandro's toupee in the mirror. And and he removes it in the mirror, and it's it's it is chilling. Let me tell you, a chilling image. And I it, I don't know why I can't explain it, but oh man, I just was. And, and if I was bored before, where we're going? Oh god, yeah. So eh, yeah. yeah, so we, the basically the next part of the movie split between the trial and Giorgio brooding. And and the, the, there's plenty of evidence at Elizondo, of Elizondo's guilt presented the trial, um, not the least of which being his fingerprints on the murder weapon, which he claims he did own the knife, but it was stolen out of his car a few weeks earlier. Uh, there's a lot of information, a lot of information on pleather. Now, Rob, did you know that in 1971, 28% of Italian cars had pleather seats? I do, eventually. Um <laughs> You will after watching this movie. It, I just stylistically with the or well the script, right? The story. It, he gets arrested, okay? Uh with with just like some very small circumstantial things that we kind of know about. And then you might normally have a lot of the information that's bad for the the you know Alessandro come out uh maybe with his family he's worried about maybe in conversations with his his defense lawyer like oh they've got this it's looking real bad where you're walking through but this film chooses to just have the prosecutor in court who is someone we've never met before explain all of this in legalese all at once dry i mean it's not le- it's fake legal it's fake legal it's it, it, yes, but, but it basically the movie comes to a screeching halt and turns into like the early 70s version of law and order milan dun dun like it's missing the dung dung that's it yeah every time this movie could have had a main character it it proudly said no <laughs> we're gonna shift to something or someone else that you really have spent no time with it's flummoxing and and look I've seen Inferno. This should not flummox me, right? <laughs> like, and yet it does. And I think it's the mystery aspect in particular because there. This is not a film that invites dream logic. It's it's not that kind of film. And so when you're when the breadcrumbs never lead anywhere, and, the, and as a matter of fact, a, a bird eats those crumbs, and now I'm following a fox. It just it's. <laughs> It's a little maddening. Uh, it, it, it is, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, and, and there's like evidence gets presented that links Alessandro look guilty, and then some of that evidence gets refuted. It's Law and Order. It's Law and Order. It's the ups and downs of a Law and Order episode. Dung dung. Um, and and one of the few times 
that Giorgio intersects with the main plot is when he he testifies that he actually saw a young man running away from the scene uh, with blonde hair and a blue raincoat, uh, not uh, the uh, uh, Alessandra. So. Uh, That said, Alessandro has difficulty explaining his whereabouts on the day. Ultimately, it comes out that he was having an affair with the woman from the opening scene, the one with the wig. And the blood type found on Alessandro's shirt matches the victim. The wife testifies that she hid the bloody shirt. And that is enough for Alessandro to be convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Honestly, I was having a tough time getting through this trial. Oh, boy. It was just, uh, it's just tough. It it is in this this movie's about an hour 40 it's like an hour 37 or something it is it is just about 30 minutes of trial stuff uh anyway but but that said i actually think that once you send alessandro to jail the movie starts to come to life a bit like it starts to remember that it's a giallo once you send once you convict alessandro we learn that his wife that alessandro's wife is having an affair with alessandro's lawyer and that he definitely did not provide the best defense in order for him to be to be convicted by and and it's it's interesting because the wife and the lawyer are talking and they seem to genuinely believe that Alessandro is guilty. Yep. And they're like, "Thank God you you were able to sort of slow walk his defense because otherwise you'd have a murderer walk in the streets." Uh, meanwhile, Sarah has a very sweaty and or tearful sex scene with Giorgio. I. I can't tell if it was sweat or if it was tears. It was very, very, it was very, very humid in that apartment. I can't, I just can't tell if, is it sweat and tears? It's tears for sure. I mean, it was, you know, it's played again. uh, It's a quasi, you know, sexual assault, really. You know, it started, you know, presumably as consensual and quickly becomes, I think, non-consensual. And he is a scary crazy guy and she is shook after this uh after the sexual encounter um because it's also setting up more possible killers because uh killings keep coming on well there's the twist is that they've convicted him and then a second a second uh a second killing happens and and but I want to go back for a second because there's that moment where um the 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 lawyer is going to get gas and cigarettes and he's talking to a woman as he's buying the cigarettes and then they cut a hard cut to the woman dead. And, um, you know... And the cigarettes as be She's dressed very distinctly and has distinct hair and makeup, but they they make sure you also see those cigarettes. Right, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's she's killed with the same type of knife uh, as, as Francoise. The police are reluctant to make a connection to the previous murder. Uh, they say it's not the same type of crime because the second victim was a prostitute. As if prostitutes have never been murder victims, in particular with knives... Rob, <laughs> the most famous serial killer, unsolved crime of all time. Like I'm, I'm just like, what the hell, man? Like it's, uh, you know. So anyway, the the cops finally start to consider the murders might be connected when the killer calls the police and says, "I killed two women. I'm gonna kill another," which he does. So that that is enough to get to get uh, you know they they and they they really seem to be pushing either Giorgio or Giulio as, as the Giorgio the boyfriend or Giulio the lawyer as the killer and frankly I said to myself well if it turns out to be either one I'll be disappointed because it's just, they're making they're pushing it so hard yeah those herrings are red hot that's it, communism was not the only red herring.
Julio, the lawyer, turns out to be a first-class asshole when he tries to force himself on Sarah. And it's just like, oh, and then the, the wife catches him and he tries to explain it away. This is a quote from the movie. All men like young girls. They're so adorable. Like a shot at happiness. Yikes. Yeah, and, and mom seems more concerned about the fact that he likes a younger, prettier girl rather than the fact that he just tried to rape her daughter. Yeah. Um, who And which... Which is odd a little bit to me because the way they play that scene, the daughter is clearly traumatized. They are they are playing that note. Yes, um, yes, they absolutely are. And then are. just completely ignore it. Yeah, then it's, well, because um, that, that red herring's no longer useful for them. So, Alessandro, between the fact that there's been two more murders and the revelation that Alessandro's mistress has the same blood type as the victim, supporting his story that it was her blood on the shirt, the conviction's overturned and Alessandro is released. Uh, meanwhile, Giorgio seems to be very troubled by I don't know what, but it's around this time we learn that he's really into butterflies too. And it's just like, he's got a butterfly in his apartment, like a, he's got like a butterfly cut out. He, uh, he goes insane. I, and this was earlier. I think he goes insane listening to the piece of classical music that is most likely the same as the, uh, the record that was being carried by the first victim. That's right. Cause she had a record. They make a big deal out of it. And presumably is the piece of classical music that opens this whole movie. Uh, but as you know, I'm lazy. That's <laughs> I didn't look it up. <laughs> I either. did not look it's, it up. It's, yeah. You know. uh, and, and the police learn that Giorgio bought two switchblades and they, they give, they presume they go to, they go to see if they could find him. He gives the cops the slip. Uh, some of the cops are chasing him fall down like they're in a slapstick comedy that is so tonally off for this somber piece. It is just, I'm like, how did that even get in the film? It's bizarre. Uh, I think we just, should, Rob, I think we should just cross over the spoiler zone at this yep. point and talk about the, the, the resolution of the mystery. So the newly freed, here we go, folks. You can skip to the end and find out what we'll be talking about next week. But this is the spoiler zone for the 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 the, the mystery. Uh, the newly freed Alessandro gets a, a phone call instructing him to come to what appears to be an abandoned warehouse on the edge of town. Uh, and after walking through the warehouse for what feels like eighteen minutes, I swear to God, he's walking through that warehouse. For a really long time. The first three times that he was shot through broken glass and you had a frame within a frame, it was cool. Oh, yeah. By 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 the 17th time, you're like, all right, come on. Uh, so he, he gets, he's walking through the warehouse and who is there waiting for him but Giorgio? And it turns out, and this I actually thought was fascinating, the police had everything right about the murder of Francoise. Alessandro did kill her that day in the park. And they, he did it because he rejected, because she rejected his advances and she threatened to talk about it. He was the man running away. It was her blood. Like everything the police had on Alessandro was absolutely right. But Giorgio killed the second and third victims because he wanted to get Alessandro sprung from jail so he could take his revenge. Because apparently he and Francoise were in love. They met in Paris and he was so distraught that he actually killed two innocent people and made the phone call to the police so to make Alessandro look innocent so he could kill him. I, it's bonkers. I think it's really interesting that the killers, that you had more than one killer doing more than one crime and that 
the, the cops essentially had the right story when it came to the first killing. I thought all that was really interesting. The slog to get there, holy shit. But I thought that was an interesting end. Yeah, no, uh, very unusual um, and uh, really gives us absolutely no one to feel good about or root for at the end of this thing. It's the feel-bad film of 1971. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, getting revenge for the death of your loved one, you know, debatable, Some, you know, but uh, killing innocent people in order to do so definitely not it's not the way to go it's not bad cool, it's, man it's just bad uh, no and, you know uh it's it's just so giorgio he's got this gun he's he got a gun and he he shoots alessandro but alessandro is able to stab giorgio in the stomach and they both die as giorgio recalls giving francois the butterfly necklace and and you know i mean this just it's a slow film the trial is just brings it to a, a cold stop but i thought the resolution was really interesting and 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 the whole film has this melancholy air to it burn with the crystal plumage is is serious but it's exciting and and it's it, there's a there's a there's a fun excitement there's chases through the streets and you know like you have the bit with the man with the yellow coat there's exciting stuff here it's just it's it's there's a there's a there's an air of melancholy over this movie, which admittedly the ending twist justifies, but it's just such a tough slog. It's just, it's just a tough slog. Look, the slowness in the first half hour, I've felt it, but I, I suspect I would have liked this movie far better if it didn't have an entire third of it devoted to the court case uh, in particular, because also I mean, you're literally in that courtroom. Whatever visual flair and style this movie has, uh, you get none of it in the court. It is it's it's filmed like a courtroom. It's very dark paneled wood. It's it's um yeah, it's it's although I, I do find visually, I mean, I wonder if this is true in Italian courts that the 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 defendant literally sits behind a set of bars. I'm like, holy shit, they're not kidding around. They, they're they really uh, visually going for a conviction there. Holy man. Now you have, I mean, there's an interesting, you have an underlying theme of unreliable sight that you see also in Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Here it's more like the prosaic form of unreliable witness testimony, some of which turns out to be reliable witness testimony you know, after all, it's like, oh, well, that woman had it right to begin with. The woman without the television set, she uh, she had it right to begin with. But, um, you know, again, I thought the, the resolution was interesting and tragic. But this the road to get there uh, was was a, a difficult one. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes in uh, 1971 Milan, you know. Yeah. But again, I, I would say for Giallo completists, um, watch it. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, look, it's at times slow and I felt a little bored, but it's not terrible. No, um, no, it, it's, it is, uh, my least favorite of the ones we've watched so far. Yes. Um, by a country mile, yes. I would say. But it's not, it's not awful, you know, awful. It's, no. it's just. And there are things to be, some of the performance is very nice. Uh, when you are in locations, again, this is a different it feels like a different. I think it, I think it was Milan. I I I think it, oh, oh okay. I think it was Milan. Well, so that's why it looks like a different. It's, Rome. it's northern Italy, <laughs> which is a whole other vibe than you know, kind of Rome and um, and we'll get. It'll be interesting because in weeks to come, we're we're, we're going to get some movies that are not set in Italy. 
Uh, we've had some before, but like this, there was, and and then we'll the well we'll talk about that very soon because next week we're gonna get one of the movies. Next week is gonna be a movie set in the countryside, which is super interesting, and we'll uh, yeah. So so next week that that I think wraps things up for here. But but next week on get me another bird with the crystal plumage, we'll be focusing again on a single filmmaker this time. Horror master Lucio Fulci. Yes. Fulci made two Gialli in the early 70s that I think are two of the most fascinating films of the genre, both with incredibly evocative titles. So next week, join us as we explore 1971's A Lizard in a Woman's Skin and 1972's Don't Torture a Duckling. It's going to be great. Uh, I, you're gonna, I think uh, I think it's, it's the Fulci episode is going to be terrific. So thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorgis. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky at Get Me Another Pod. All of our social media is at the same name. It is Get Me Another Pod. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Tell your enemies about it. Tell your masseuse who may or may not actually be blind about it. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when studios say, get me another.